Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Lopez wants it away. And it's a deep to left center. Andrew Jones on the run. This one has a chance. Home run! Hello, Mets fans, and welcome back to another edition of Believe in the Mets right here on the Believe Podcasting Network, or of course on YouTube where you are watching us. Nick Durst here, and right now the Mets, they're not looking that great on paper for the roster-wise going into the next season of 2024, but this should be no surprise if, if you believe what Max Scherzer said. When he said Billy Epler and Steve Cohen told him the Mets are necessarily not necessarily going to try to win in 2024. They're maybe retooling a bit, going ahead to 2025. And that seems to be what's happening right now. And for the Mets here, their pitching rotation, it's pretty much set. A lot of what-ifs and keep the fingers crossed with Luis Severino coming off a career-worst year. Adrian Hauser off a career-worst year. Quintana off a year where he missed half the year. Got to hold your breath a bit, and now the trend continues as Sean Manaya is a Met, and he's coming off a year where he spent most of the season in the bullpen. So joining me now to discuss this and, and break it all down, you may have seen his work in The Athletic, because that's where he works and writes about baseball in the Mets. And here he is, Tim Britton. Tim, thank you so much for joining us. Let's jump right into it. Sean Manaya, he's a Met now. Why? Why is he a Met? Why was he someone they targeted and thought it was the perfect fit for this roster? You know, I, I think we, we talked about uh, going into the offseason, how Yoshinobu Yamamoto kind of stood apart from the rest of the free agent class for the New York Mets. And that, you know, they would go all out after Yamamoto, which they did. And they, they fell short with him choosing L.A. But beyond that, the pitchers they were going to look at were bounce back candidates and guys in kind of the Jose Quintana mold. Uh, from last year. Guys, you can expect to get deals like Quintana's, which was two years and $26 million. And here's Sean Manaya, uh, who happens to be left-handed like Quintana, signing for two years and $28 million. You know, M- Manaya, what they like is uh, the upside there. This is a guy who not that long ago was one of the better starters in Major League Baseball, first-round pick pedigree. Uh, look, no one likes hearing these things when a guy is 33 still, but changed his repertoire a little bit uh, in the latter half of last year, really at the end of May, uh, and pitched very well from that point forward. So, uh, you know, is a reasonable risk-reward proposition for them at this point. Uh, but when you combine it with everything else they've done, probably leaves the fan base a little underwhelmed. I would say best-case scenario for Shrum and Aya is perhaps they trade him at the deadline for a young reliever because I just don't know if this team is necessarily going to be that all that competitive. I think if you look at the rosters from last year to this year, I mean, it's still an unfinished product right now, and we'll talk about that. But it seems that the roster maybe took a step back, I would say, at, at this point. And they haven't done anything at this point, Tim, to address the bullpen. What are you hearing about the bullpen? Because last year, obviously, Diaz was out. But I thought even with Diaz, if they had him, the bullpen left a lot to be desired. Now they lose out of Eno. Obviously, Robertson's not there. So 
Are you hearing anything as far as maybe the Mets are going to turn their attention now to the bullpen, or do they want to continue with their trend of having those optionable arms? Well, I think the bullpen is someplace we still might see additions, uh, and maybe the, their highest profile addition to the bullpen is, is still out there. Uh, that would not surprise me by any stretch. But I do think they like the, the guys they've added and the, the diversity that they've added to their bullpen crew. You know, one of the major issues they had last year uh, was that everyone who coming out of that pen threw 94 in a slider. You know, and and especially when David Robertson was gone. And so they wanted to get a little bit different. They wanted to add some velocity, which they got in Jorge Lopez and Austin Adams. Wanted to add uh, different looks uh, in terms of secondary pitches, which they got in you know a guy like Cole Solzer. Look. Are these are these the eight guys you're going to go forward with? No, it's it's going to be a mix and match situation. But uh, you look at David Stern's track record in Milwaukee with bullpens, a lot of no names in that bullpen leading up to uh, Josh Hader at the back end, Devin Williams in the back end, uh, and they were routinely pretty effective. Uh, so that's one area where I do think you have to give him more of a benefit of the doubt than maybe uh, fans are, are likely to. Uh, but uh, he's built good bullpens in the past without having to spend a ton of money. Uh, and I, I do think there is still room for maybe one more addition there uh, before the end of the, the offseason. Yeah, I would hope so. If, as the Mets fans were looking at this and the team, the bullpen is, is definitely a concern, but the rotation's a concern. The lineup's a concern. Last year, middle of the pack towards the bottom in a lot of offensive categories, especially with power, they were – in the middle, but that was really two players hitting home runs in Alonzo and Lindor. Obviously, the big thing for the Mets, as the fans are, are screaming for now for a number of years, is how about a DH? It seems that the DH team is going to be Mark Fientes and DJ Stewart. Obviously, Stearns, he's all about defense. I don't think we're going to see much of DJ Stewart in the outfield or Mark Fientes at third base, especially with Harrison Bader coming in uh, and also Taylor in the trade with the Hauser trade. So, there, there is some good quality players right now on the free agent market uh, that the Mets could potentially target as DH. Jorge Soler, he could maybe play some outfield in an emergency. Bryce Hoskins, you need a backup first baseman anyway. Unless you're going to go with Vientos there. J.D. Martinez, he's coming off an all-star year. Justin Turner, he could maybe play some, he could play some first and third base. Or none of these guys. And they just go with Vientos and D.J. Stewart. Any of these guys seem plausible to you that they the Mets actually might go after them and do they gonna have to overpay to get these guys because I would think especially with a JD Martinez or Justin Turner scenario with their age if all things are equal with the money they're probably going to want to go somewhere that looks like they're going to be a winner this year so what do you what do you make of the whole DH situation right now with the Mets it's certainly plausible that they will add there I think that you know in terms of the rest of their position player group uh, you know, maybe it's a, a guy who can play a little bit of third base and, and be a DH. That's where Turner would fit in that scenario. Um, I, I think they feel pretty set in their outfield now after the addition of Harrison Bader. Uh, but it's, you know, it, it's being opportunistic. It's, it's all of those things that fans don't want to hear is we haven't seen the DH market move all that much. The so obviously Otani sign, Mitch Garver sign uh, in Seattle. But beyond that, there's a couple trade options out there. Tampa Bay is looking to move. A couple, a couple guys potentially. So there, there are options for them there. Uh, I don't know that it's going to be a, a two-year, thirty-five million dollar deal for Jorge Soler. I'd probably rule that out. Um, but uh, it wouldn't. Again, I, I wouldn't bet my house on the Mets adding uh, a veteran DH. But I would not rule that out at this point. It wouldn't surprise me. Are you surprised that the Mets, outside of that, the Hauser deal, 
because obviously Stearns had his ties there with the Brewers and knew him well, that the Mets have not been very active in the trade market this offseason because I know they want to hold on to the prospects. Uh, but, you know, they did acquire four shortstops at the deadline last year. They have Lindor. They have Mauricio. They needed pitching. So it just seemed like it kind of would match up, but they're going to this offseason. We'll trade some of these younger, maybe not high-end, you know, uh, starters in the majors, and that could be starting at shortstop, and we'll flip it and maybe get a get a reliever or something along those lines. Are you surprised that the Mets, they're really just kind of, you know, holding their prospects tight to the best this offseason? Not really, just because, you know, I think Stearns talked about in his introductory press conference that he'd be open to trades. But, you know, I, I always go back to what Sandy Alderson would would say when he, he was the general manager of the Mets. You've got two currencies, money and, play, and prospects, basically, to acquire major league talent. And for so many years, the Mets didn't use their money. They used their prospects. And that's why the system kind of fell apart the way it did in the latter half of last decade. Uh, and now they're trying to rebuild it back. And so there, there's there's not so much available on the trade market that makes you want to move players for them uh, that you can't get in free agency. Uh, you know, you look at the deal with Milwaukee for Hauser and, and Tyrone Taylor that you're not giving up a lot in that instance uh, in Coleman Crow, and you're basically taking on money. You know, it, it, as much as anything, that is a, a deal where you're using your financial wherewithal to take on uh, major league players. So I think that's been their mo for a little bit now for for kind of the last two plus years. Uh, and I would imagine that would go going forward. There, there, pro- there might be kind of that consolidation prospect trade down the line. Uh, you know, I, I've seen people in our comments compared to what the Knicks did to get OG Ananobi, uh, like that kind of deal. Uh, but, you know, you mentioned all the shortstops in the system. Shortstop is not a bad position to have a lot of guys. Most guys who can play shortstop can play anywhere. If you have four catchers at the top of your system, then you're, then you've got an issue. And maybe that becomes a problem further down the line with Kevin Parada and Francisco Alvarez. But I, th- I think at this point, the Mets are just trying to compile as much major league talent as possible and see how it filters through over the next year or so. So do you think the Mets will be able to, to trade Omar Narayas and talk about the catchers there? Obviously he's probably not very happy being on the bench here with the Mets. And I think the Mets fans would be really unhappy if Tomas Nito is back on this roster opening day as the backup catcher. So what are you hearing about the Mets? Or is there actually any interest in Narvaez to, to move him? I mean, I think it would be kind of similar to James McCann last year where the Mets would have to eat a certain amount of, mo- a certain amount of the money. Uh, and at that point, you wonder, you know, how value, how worth it is it? It is an area where they have uh, some some depth because they have Nito off of the 40-man roster. They, they claimed Tyler Heineman uh, earlier in this offseason. Uh, you know, the, the catchers move through, like every catcher gets in that DFA purgatory uh, where they get claimed and they get, they get they get dropped from the roster over and over. Uh, so there's there's room to maneuver there. Stearns did that a lot in Milwaukee. It seemed every offseason he was bringing in some catchers and, and, and dealing some other catchers. Uh, but uh, I think Narvaez, it, the price has got to line up. You're not going to get much. You're not, you're not going to get anything really of major league value in return. You're basically just unloading the salary. And that's something that the Mets don't really have to do. Uh, and maybe you, you hope that uh, Narvaez captures some version of of his best form, uh, even in limited playing time. So obviously this year it's all about you know let's let's not clog up any spaces for prospects and whatnot. Who do you see being the first prospect to to make it to the majors, and in what month could you particularly see that maybe happening? Um, you know, it's probably uh, someone like Mike Vassell. It's probably you know he's the furthest along of that next starting pitching group. Uh, although, you know, everyone is kind of in a, a, a group there. You've got Vassal, Dominic Hamill, who spent all of last year in double A. Uh, then you've got uh, the guys who moved from high A to double A over the course of the season in Christian Scott, Blade Tidwell, and Tyler Stewart. 
those guys that you know might be a little bit more difficult to project them making the major leagues before the end of the season. Uh, maybe maybe a September call up or something like that. But you know, if they run into uh, an issue where they need a starting pitcher, they need a long man or something to eat up innings. Uh, Vassal could be that guy. You know, Luis Angel Acuna should start the year in AAA. Drew Gilbert should start the year in AAA. Uh, even in Double A, like like uh, my colleague Will Salmon has mentioned, when when Stearns was in Milwaukee, Double A is major league depth. Those are guys that you can see in the major leagues at any point in the season. Uh, so it, you know, I would expect those guys to be up probably at some point in the year. But it's just a matter of of opportunity. Who in front of them gets hurt? Who in front of them doesn't perform? And where's that opportunity open? It's a little easier to project that in a starting rotation because everyone gets hurt in a starting right. rotation at some point. I would imagine Gilbert's got a good shot to make the roster in the, at some point this year, just because of the injury history of Marte and Bader. So that's two outfielders who get hurt. Nimmo was not hurt the last two years, but previously he would get hurt. So I think outfield is a spot there where he could potentially make the roster. And then you see Clifford getting to AAA, who, from what we read and hear, he's got the most power potential out of the, the Mets prospects now. Acuna. Where is where do you think he's going to be playing position wise to start the season in AAA? I doubt he's going to play shortstop. Is he going to be at second base? So they're going to look at him in the outfield. Where do you think the majority of his playing time is going to come at AAA in April? It does seem to make sense that he'd see more and more time at second base moving forward because you've got uh, in Jeff McNeil. You know you've got Lindor locked in at shortstop. We just we just went through this with Ronnie Mauricio last year, uh, and uh, you're you know you're not going to play him in the major leagues at shortstop long term, Acuna. That is, uh, and so second base would seem to be the the pathway for him. And because of McNeil's versatility in the outfield, and even you know if they wanted to try him out at third base again like they did several years ago, uh, that would be a possibility for him. So I, I would imagine that it might not be where Luis Angel Acuna is the opening day second baseman for the Syracuse Mets and plays second base each and every day. Uh, but I would imagine that a larger share of his playing time will be there than it has been in the past. And I think because they've got Gilbert, because of what they've added in their outfield, it's maybe a little bit less likely that we see him in center field uh, the way we might have otherwise. Yeah, that would make sense. Now, the Mets in June, they're going to London. So I need to know, is Tim Britton going to be in Great Britain? Is there a column there? <laughs> that you could potentially work on. And at that point in the season, where do you see the Mets as far as being competitive-wise? Are they going to be in, in the mix there, or are they going to be where we are anticipating them to be right there, fourth place, battling with the Nationals? Well, you know, we, we haven't we haven't made our travel schedule yet. I'm not sure if I'm going to be there yet. Uh, I did I did actually go to London last month with my family. I tried to I tried to play it off as a work expense because you know I was just preparing for yeah, for next year. They they didn't go along with that. Um, <laughs> but uh, you know that's that comes at a really interesting time in the season. I think a lot of people in baseball will tell you that Memorial Day is kind of your first checkpoint in a major league season, where you say, okay, what what's happened so far what's real, what's not, and what do we have to fix? Uh, and how do we have to kind of pivot between now and the trade deadline to be buyers at the trade deadline? You know, that, that trip is, I think, like June 9th and 10th or something like that. So maybe a week and a half after Memorial Day. Uh, but uh, is that time where you make that first evaluation? Uh, we've seen, you know, it's funny they play the Phillies. The Phillies at that point in the season, the last two years, have not been in a good spot uh, either of those years. The, if you look back, they might have been under 500 at the start of June each of the last two years. Uh, certainly Atlanta, uh, you go back to 2021, was not in a good spot yeah. uh, at that point, or even in Washington in 2019. So you can, you know, you don't want to write off a season on, on where a team is on June 9th and 10th, but June has been such a, an important month for the Mets in the past, what, seven years? It feels like June is their make or break time of year. It was a break time for them last year. 
uh, that you know, I think at that point we could see them right around 500, a little bit below 500. Their schedule really gets more difficult in the second half of the season. Uh, you look at like the month of August. I think they play something like six or seven home games, the maybe nine home games the entire month. Uh, they play a lot of games on the road in August. That's a really tough time of year to play a lot of games on the road. We saw that in 2021 uh, with the, that West Coast trip. Uh, so uh, I, I think they. It would be a surprise to me if at the start of June, Mets are in London and we're already talking about who they're going to sell at the deadline. Fair enough. So 2024, obviously, you know, they want to be competitive. We'll see how the roster shakes out. Do you think that with them, you know, wanting to hold onto the prospects, which makes sense, if they're teetering around the trade deadline, and obviously this is far away now, a lot of baseball they've played, and they're like right around 500, will they stand pat? Will they be willing to make a move and, and, and trade for somebody who is going to be on an expiring deal? Or could you see them saying, well, we're close, but maybe we'll sell. And that's the best move here for us. We don't know about Alonzo. Maybe we have to, maybe, maybe we'll trade him because who knows what's going to happen in a range state. How do you feel this regime might, might decide to handle a trade deadline where they're, they're somewhere around 500 and it could, it could go either way? Yeah, I mean, obviously so much of that is dependent on context, where they are in a wild card race, who's ahead of them, and how different players are performing. And I think so much of it is is how their younger players are performing. You know, if if Pete Alonso is having his, his usual season, but but Mark Vientos is hitting 300 with 20 home runs at the trade deadline as a DH, you say, okay, maybe maybe trading Alonso is more palatable than it would have been otherwise. Uh, but I would I would expect, you know, we've seen this with Stearns in, in the past in Milwaukee, seen it with a lot of teams like that, a lot of franchises in that spot, the kind of thread the needle approach, um, which is, again, not what anyone wants, uh, but a, a situation where, okay, maybe you trade a starter who's on an expiring contract in order to try to get someone who's got more years of team control, uh, you know, spinning off a Jose Quintana for a starter who, who's younger than that. Uh, that would be, uh, I think, a, a more realistic option for them at a trade deadline in that scenario. Fair enough. All right. So this season, they're going to play it out, but really it seems to be like all eyes are on 2025. Hopefully not 2026. So 2025, is a, it's really a massive free agent class. And with the way free agency is shucking out this offseason for the Mets, they should have the, the roster flexibility to go get a Zach Wheeler Go get a Corbin Burns in free agency, one of these guys. And also, of course, Juan Soto is going to be a free agent. Now, the Mets, they've been rumored to all these free agents for years now. Oh, they're going to have to judge. They're going to have to Otani. Are they really going to be in on Soto? And do you think there, there's a fit there? Because I think, obviously, the Mets, they have this money. But we've been seeing it nonstop here that, that Steve Cohen's getting played. It's the Steve Cohen effect. The agents are getting the Mets involved to get other teams to pay more money. And obviously, it comes, it's got to come down to money. But I think winning is a, is a factor here as well because if the money's equal and the Mets are coming off a year where they're under 500 again, what's the big selling point to say, come here, we're, you know, we're close? It, it's a tough sell. So first with Juan Soto, Tim, do you think the Mets are, are going to be all on him next year? Uh, I, I think they would be pretty heavily invested in trying to bring him to Queens. Uh, you know, again, so much depends on on how Soto's year in the Bronx goes. There's a chance that, man, he just loves playing for the Yankees, uh, and the Yankees decide they, they want to go all out to keep him uh, the same way they did for Aaron Judge. Um, but I think you look at how this front office operated, who was the one guy they went after really heavily this offseason? It was the guy who was 25 years old in Yoshinobu Yamamoto, 
who's the guy who most resembles Yamamoto next year. It's not his starting pitcher who's going to be 30 like Corbin Burns. It's Juan Soto, a foundational player who's in his mid-20s. So I think what what we've seen from this front office suggests that if they are going to go big after someone next offseason, it would be someone like Soto. That said, I would expect them to be uh, aggressive in the top end of the starting pitching market also. From people I've talked to, there is this expectation that the Mets know that you know their next ace is not residing in AAA this season. It's not coming internally. That there's going to be, have to be a significant addition externally, and that's not coming this offseason. But it very well might come next when there are more than one option on the on the free agent yeah, market. Lots of great pitchers for sure next offseason. And the question then to really just come down to it is: we know we're not getting an Alonzo extension now, but for next offseason, is it going to be a scenario of it's an Alonzo extension or? signing a starting pitcher, an Alonzo extension, or signing Juan Soto? Or is it possible to have Alonzo extension plus a Juan Soto plus starting pitching? What do you think is going to happen there? I I think what they've done this offseason puts them in a position to be greedy next offseason. We saw, you know, you look at what the Dodgers offseason was last winter and how little they did. Uh, And look, they were in a better position competitively that they could do very little and win 100 games anyway. The Mets aren't in that spot, clearly. Uh, But it set them up to be as aggressive as they were on Shohei Otani, as aggressive as they were on Yamamoto and and Teoscar Hernandez, and to spend as much money as they have. Uh, I think the Mets should be in a similar financial position next year with as much money as they have coming off the books, that it is not inconceivable that they can re-sign Alonzo in free agency, they can bring in Soto, they can bring in a, a premier starting pitcher, Uh, That should all be on the table for this team with with what they have financially. Well, that is very exciting, and that'll be music to the Mets' ears. We'll have to see how 2024 plays out first. Tim, this has been great. Please let everybody know where they can find you and where they can find your great articles as well. You can find uh, stories by by myself and Will Salmon, both cover the Mets for The Athletic at theathletic.com. I'm on Twitter uh, at Tim Britton, just my name, nice and simple. Uh, You can always find me there. All right, and maybe you'll find Tim Burton in Great Britain this summer. Uh, that'd be quite quite the, the series, so you could pitch that to the athletic. But Tim, this has been great. Everybody make sure you're following Believe in the Mets, B-L-E-A-V-I-N-T-H-E-M-E-T-S on all social media platforms and, of course, YouTube. I'm on Twitter at Nick underscore Durst on Instagram, Nick's Food and Stuff. And until next time, everybody, let's hope for the best, and let's go Mets. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.